0: Hello and welcome to the Glossy
1: Podcast, our weekly show in which we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. My name is Shereen Patek and I'm the managing editor at Glossy. And this week's guest, the wonderful Chris Benz, designer at Bill Blast. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very good. So right before we started recording, I was asking Chris um, how he wants to be introduced and I loved what he said. He says, the, uh, call me the grandfather of the industry, but just kidding. Fashion makes you feel a little older than you are. What did you mean <laughs> by that? Because I think that's an, that's such a great great way to put it because it does feel like there's so much going on in fashion now. And if you work in this industry, it's like a constant sea change every single day. And you're kind of at the forefront of it being on, as, as a designer. Mm-hmm. What is it really like working in fashion that people don't really recognize right now?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, fashion does... Go so quickly. I mean, things that happened two calendar years ago seem, you know, to people in the industry, like, you know, it might as well be a decade ago to the normal person. That, so, was,
1: that was so January 2017. <laughs> I mean,
0: it's, it's funny because it's true. It's, um, um, and also I think, you know, I've been working in fashion since I really moved to New York when I was 17 and, um, very quickly you realize that, you know it moves at such a speed that you know i'm 34 now i'll I'll be 35 this year but i feel like i could easily be ready to retire you know right? because (laughs) compared
1: to other industries who maybe operate on like an annual or you know every two years is when the big changes happen unlike this i mean you're, you're you have to reinvent yourself and not just yourself the work you do the brand you work for everything is constantly going in this reinvention let's Let's talk about, I mean, how sort of you you moved to New York when you were 17. I mean, how has kind of designing changed for you um, in the last, um, mm-hmm. the last 15 years?
0: Well, um, I'm creative director at Bill Blast now, so I actually do a bit less day-to-day design, which is actually kind of refreshing in its own way mm-hmm. um, after so many years of, you know, pencil to paper and, you know, in the factories and yeah. looking after the sewers and all that. Um, but I think in general um even over the past 10 years or so technology has changed kind of the way that people interact with fashion at least for me um even when i started my um chris ben's collection which was actually 10 years ago um this year there's not even that many pictures available because people didn't have like, cell phone cameras yet, Mm -hmm. which is such a strange thing to think about. Like, only 10 years ago, um, there's sort of a scarcity of runway shots. Even when I'm like, oh, I need, like, a throwback Thursday or something. (laughs) Like, I did one for my first show not so long ago, and, um, you know, there's, like, five pictures on Getty images from from the show. Like, it was such a shallow database. It almost
1: feels like... That's why, I mean, nostalgia is sort of, like, has a very interesting place, too, in fashion. Because there is... Like when you look back at, you know, old, even if it's old runway shows or old like editorials or mm-hmm. old spreads in Vogue, like it, it evokes this like really emotional feeling, I think, for people who work in the industry. And I wonder if a lot of it's just because just simple technology, it's like it really feels like it might be
0: the big reason. Yeah, I think so. And I think um, there were a lot less, uh, there were a lot less players, actually. There were less magazines, there were less um, kind of platforms for um, broadcasting, images and um and there's many more collections i think than ever before and it's just this um you know it takes a bit more to cut through the static and there is a quaintness about thinking about fashion of the past and how um you know a lot of it was you know uh an interesting fabric that someone brought back from europe and the whole uh, someone's whole collection was based on a certain fabric like it doesn't really happen like that anymore i think there's many more factors that go into it. I'm
1: let's let's concerned. talk about those factors. Um, and obviously, you're a creative director now, so you're doing, you know, you're not doing the sort of day to day design. But mm-hmm. for the designers you do work with, I mean, how? Um, what are some of the other things they're thinking about that design? You know, when you were designing more, you know, 10 years ago, even that you were kind of like, wow, these people are suddenly thinking about so many more factors that go into just a collection, or even not even just a collection, but a piece from a collection. Like mm-hmm. suddenly everything is. I mean, there's. Things that always fascinated me are like phenomena, like the Instagram show, where suddenly you have to think about what your show is going to look like on social media, which is requires just a different skill set.
0: Well, I think the speed aspect is definitely part of it. I think, Um, for example, when I was working at Marc Jacobs uh, and the way that I learned to schedule myself in fashion was really on this two seasons a year, three seasons at most a year calendar. And it was like, you know, this of meditation on one collection and a, had a very distinct beginning and end, and then you moved on to the next collection. The way that we work now is really much more fluid, and I think it changes uh, kind of the creative calendar for designers is, you know, stores have opened to buy all throughout the year, so if you're just constantly creating interesting products, whether they have a uh, kind of communication with one another or not. If it's a great product and it's interesting, oftentimes you could get it into a story at any time of the year versus just this kind of strict market calendar. What about inside
1: your brain? Because then there was this concept of like a creative rebirth after you finished a collection. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, people used to go and then kind of take that time and then almost come back and and you saw huge changes sometimes in designers and their work between collections because it was like this was a new person and this is always something to be remarked upon and commented on. Sure. Um, from like inside your brain, suddenly you're thinking very differently.
0: Yeah, I think like I said, the speed is much different or the schedule is much different than it was before. Uh, I always felt like, oh, fashion week's over, like let me take a week off. Okay. but. I think more than ever that just doesn't exist there's uh um i've booked a trip to japan just for vacation um last i think summer and i was gonna go in october and i've already moved it from october to april and then i just changed (laughs) it from april to september so it's just like you know there's never a good time to take off but um i think the good thing is and the positive i travel around the world so often and I can really work from anywhere from my phone for the most part there's very little that I can't do for my job off of my phone so um, you know it's it's almost um, you know there's drawbacks but there's also great benefits to I think how technology and and kind of a shift in the calendar has um, has changed the industry for sure
1: how much is burnout something that you even think about
0: I mean I don't but because it feels think like it's become to like are not working. So Yeah.
1: <laughs> it does feel like it's like the word of du jour in a way. Yeah. Um, at least in certain corners of the industry that a lot of people are talking about uh, you know, these very creative people. What mm. it, are are they at risk of burnout? Um, especially, you know, uh, I think that it's turned into one way to sort of think about the changes in the fashion calendar that actually what is the human impact of it? Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously a huge supply chain and logistical impact, but um, so you don't worry about burnout. It's not just, just not who you are as a person. I
0: mean, I always think people are up in arms about something and it just depends <laughs> <laughs> what month and what it used to you know, be the, you know, the
1: blogger that showed up at the runway show. Right. Let's You're get like, all not, mad you about not
0: invited. I don't have the right seat. Like, Oh, like, you know, sympathy for design. There's always like something. And, um, it's, kind of that flavor of the month aspect is very specific to fashion. It's like, I'm sure there's doctors that are overworked that burn out. And, you know, people that work in the movies and are farmers. Like, you know, there's, everyone has that, all of those same constructs. So, um you know, for me, it's like, "Mm, I don't know, then maybe you need like an extra hour of sleep and like drink more water. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's as simple
1: as that. That's true. Um, I remember I remember a headline. I think this was last October that said, like, is this the man that's going to reinvent American fashion? Uh Uh, Are you the man that's going to reinvent American fashion?
0: I mean, I love fashion. It's the it's the industry that I've always um, as a child uh, wanted to work in. And I really didn't have any other um, backup plan. It's just what I love. And I've never, um, kind of on the flip side of the coin, taken it as seriously, I think, as like some people that are like obsessed with it and like just devour everything fashion. Like I've always seen it as really, um, a career and and a a long-term career. So, um, you know, for me, uh, it's sort of, you know, the slow burn, but I think, um, over time, for example, that story ran in New York Magazine. And um, our plan for the long term with Bill Blass was to really not adhere to the fashion calendar. Um, we were not doing fashion shows. We were going direct to consumer. There were all of these things that we were doing where even two years ago, it seemed so progressive. I mean, that
1: was revolutionary. Like, sure. And even it was something, and I I always say this, people who have listened to this podcast and heard me say this a thousand times. It was like, wait, what? You're gonna You're going to show winter stuff? In the winter? Right. I, and for people outside of fashion, I mean, if I talk to some of my friends or even other people that work, you know, at our parent company, Digiday, I'd be like, so?
0: Right. What? What's the big deal? Right. That well, that's what I mean. Me. Like, you know, if the we had the opportunity because uh, Bill Boss had really no existing business. It was this, and is, a fantastic heritage brand that um, was somewhat dormant. And we spent a great deal of time really strategizing about how our launch was going to look, and and then um, you know, and what we were going to exercise, and what triggers we were going to kind of, or what levers we were going to pull that were somewhat unorthodox uh, at that time. Now, of course, no one is <laughs> you know doing as many fashion shows, and no one's showing in New York. And now there's all this other um, uh, kind of change happening. But um, at the time, yes, I think we were really the front runners and the first person to kind of, or the first brand to really put a stake in the ground that we were like, you know what? Fashion shows really are not for the consumer and we're selling fantastic products to, Mm -hmm. you know, a hungry audience that wants uh, a great dress on a Thursday to wear to an event on Friday. And they're certainly not looking back at like resort 14, you know, and then backtracking and figuring out where they can find that. Thing they saw on the runway six months ago now.
1: Yeah, it seems almost like fashion. Fashion people, you know, and you know what I mean by that. Like fashion people think that everyone's watching them as close as they're watching themselves. But regular, I mean, the people you're selling to who still love fashion, Hmm. they're not. They don't have this like eagle eye. I mean, they've got jobs and lives, and they're not looking at this thing in this like critical way. The way people in the industry are, and I think it's that's a. It's a, it's a very, it creates a very interesting divide because critics of, you know, fashion critics are going to be looking at this very differently from, you know, somebody who just likes a nicely cut pair of trousers and they don't really remember that there was similar thing was shown before and now they can, they can never wear it again.
0: Sure. And that's, it's kind of the overarching or possibly the undercurrent issue to the calendar with which fashion has always adhered, um, whether or not. Uh, consumers are attuned to it um, is almost ancillary because it's what's available in the store at a certain time to a consumer, and they don't have control over that. So, um, as uh, stores wanted to deliver and create longer windows of um, periods of time for sales, that's how the calendar got earlier and earlier and earlier. And we were, you know, delivering fur coats or you know down jackets in the height of summer. So it created this really confusing environment for um, for retail. And um, we were like, mm, well, also we could just be creating summer and winter products all throughout the year because it's hot and cold everywhere. Right. And we're e-commerce, so. Right.
1: And it's a global it's a global company like you can right. you're gonna be a global company and you're gonna be able to do that because right there's there's always australia that's right that's right <laughs> australia is always present um <laughs> it's, anyway. always it's, always, like. it's always summer in australia it's always summer there's <laughs> always there's always a Even southern the winter, hemisphere to like, think hmm. about I'm Like this isn't that cold right uh, how you i mean when you uh, tell me what it was like to get like the call from the bill blast people i know you've told the story before um mm-hmm. but not everyone knows about it um in what kind of that conversation, or what was going through your mind saying, like, well, here's this. I mean, it's it's sort of an iconic, you know, heritage brand. And it again means a lot to a lo- lot of people mm-hmm. in the industry, out of the industry. Um and here you're getting the call, but it was, as you said, kind of a blank slate. Kind of didn't wasn't quite sure what was going on there because a lot wasn't really going on.
0: That's right. Um, I was first approached about it. Um, I guess it's a little over two years now. Um and um I was to be honest, not that interested. When I first heard the name and heard what was going on, because I had the preconceived notions that I think a lot of people shared at that time, which was it was kind of over licensed and it was kind of just old fashioned. Yeah, like a fuddy-duddy old brand. And um, I did quite like the idea of reimagining a fantastical brand, I think, for all designers, particularly um, those that went to Parsons, which is obviously very Seventh Avenue in New Mm -hmm. York based. um, It seemed like such an exciting prospect. But didn't want to do is kind of jump back into that existing fashion calendar so um, for me it took a little bit of understanding what the new strategy was to get excited about it and once i um, understood that the approach really was revolutionary and has been um, very uh, modern or kind of as progressive as it can be within an industry that's somewhat rigid in its calendar um, that was really exciting to me, and it had a tremendous digital aspect to it, building an entire e-commerce environment from scratch, um, and that was all fantastic. Obviously, there were no employees, so we were able to hire, you know, the best and brightest, coolest yeah. kids. And
1: so. you got a blank slate. That's right. The e-commerce part is interesting. What um, what was that process like? Because I, I wonder sometimes, you know, e-commerce has got so many ins and outs, and you start hearing the word, like, attribution and last-click <laughs> models, yeah. and suddenly it's like, hang on, but... I, I don't know anything about this. And well, it's
0: like uh, people think fashion is provincial. It's like get ready to get confronted by a digital like agency. Exactly. And they have their complete own language that they invent that doesn't cross over to other ones.
1: And it, and and it's hard. And well, one part is also in our sister publication Ditch Day, has basically done an amazing job of like demystifying those terms. And uh-huh. they, have a, they have a whole series called WTF. And it's literally like WTF is last like attribution. And turns out a lot of people <laughs> in those industries even don't know about it which sure. is probably why people read that series so much because everyone's reading it before interviews and it's like I'm think it's another um <laughs> but and then you i mean you're like okay i'm gonna build a big you know e-commerce business and all that and then suddenly you sort of start hitting the like realities of it what was what was that whole i mean it was a like? huge
0: learning curve obviously um coming from more of a wholesale um background um and wholesale and ready to wear you know we had a uh really diverse product Completely range different. um and we were going direct to consumer so um we found really fantastic um partners for example Sauce is an agency that um helped us build our um, e-commerce site and it's fantastic we have like proprietary navigation and you know it's not built on magento or whatever the spree i don't know right. um so it was really interesting to be able to literally build something from the ground up with people who knew what they were Doing and mm-hmm. create something with a look and feel with a back end navigation and capability that was somewhat unusual. I had come to understand because right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't want it to look like a grid. And I, you know, there are all these things that I wanted. And were there so, things
1: that you were looking at that were kind of the zeitgeist at the time, or just the things that other people were doing that you were like, oh, this is the kind of style I don't want to do. This is the kind of thing that I wouldn't do. Because e commerce is one of those things that a lot of people, and they continue to make a lot of mistakes in because mm-hmm. so much of it is sort of still not really understood and and especially then it was even more like that
0: um well one example of something that (laughs) i thought was a somewhat simple um request that turned into something that was like quite complex um in terms of coding and development was that i wanted to be able to change the ground color of the site you know at a moment's notice versus um have just a white background with products on a white background in a grid,
1: which is which. Which, is, which apparently started, and I I don't know if this is a legend, but maybe uh-huh. you know. I thought that started because of you know Polyvore. Mm-hmm. Like I, I thought that was why everyone started doing these white backgrounds because for Polyvore, and everyone thought Polyvore would change the industry mm-hmm. and Pinterest would too, mm-hmm. and so everyone was like, oh, we gotta have everything a white background so then users can like do the little. flipping and put it on pinterest and pinterest is going to be the social network that changes fashion sure this was a while ago
0: well (laughs) i mean one of the issues with it was that all of our uh, product shots have to be masked out (laughs) so that it so that they're floating seamlessly and not only do they need to be masked out but they also have to have a transparent background so that it retains um the shadow yeah. anyway there's all these like annoying things about <laughs> it but i can change the color of our website from my phone right now to any color that i want that's amazing um, i'm gonna
1: make you do that just for <laughs> yeah. fun after we're done here
0: i can rearrange all the i'm not sure if you know how our website operates but um it's kind of an ongoing flow of products um and i can drag and resize them kind of um autonomously yeah um versus just having it feed in uh, the standard size images
1: what about um what about advertising what was kind of your approach to this while you were you know obviously starting you're like we're gonna do all e-commerce and Uh we're gonna change everything um what about your approach to advertising
0: i mean philosophically for myself um i've always really been a word of mouth guy in fashion and um even for example when i worked um tirelessly on my own brand we never really did a lot of advertising, or approached a lot of um, celebrities, or offered to dress people because I really wanted the relationship to come from the other side. Like I wanted people with um, sort of like-minded aesthetics and mm-hmm. that type of. What um, about
1: influencers or anything like that? I mean, but it was more. It felt more organic back then, though. Like yes, people it, would just wear clothes, and then they were actually people who ended up having. That's right. And there and wasn't
0: it. really social media in that way. I mean. The weird thing is, I mean, <laughs> everyone has their own Instagram personality and it's like, who's better than the next? It just It's totally subjective. And I think um, that's why having lots of great product is um, interesting and a, and a diverse assortment because everyone can find something special to wear. It's also how um, I sort of thought about developing, well, how I think about developing every product is that I wanted to always feel like the cherry on top of your outfit and um since everyone has such personal style and i think now more than ever it's about um individuality and finding a voice of your own and point of view that um it just needs to be like one little piece that you pull from everyone and it's about putting it together Mm -hmm. in your own way so in that way it's um it's sort of uh geared toward a more social shareable audience
1: do you Um, think word of mouth is still enough because things are feel more crowded. Yeah, there's. So I mean, much. I always,
0: I always want to have like a billboard in Times Square, right. but, um, you know, when it comes down to the nuts and bolts, and you're like, oh, well, we could have that, or we could have like, you know, a gigantic dinner party and like every single night for an entire year. <laughs> it's like, it all
1: comes down to like, well, I prefer. Th- I mean, I like quality
0: of... exposure sure. over kind of spray and pray, yeah. which I think a lot of. Um, and the billboard is, is very spread because you don't yeah.
1: actually know because there's no way to track it. That's and right. And
0: it's like, well, who cares if there's like, you know, a million tourists like, you know, taking a selfie with that in the background. Like, I don't know if like one image that actually matters like amongst like millions of other images are really going to matter. I think it's more about, you know, finding your people and um, and really at the end of the day, like I said, creating great product that will cut through, um, you know, yeah, the stuff. static. Yeah.
1: How, um, do you think that um, most fashion advertising is actually then about, it feels like it's actually about ego. It's actually most of it because a lot of it, so much of advertising, I mean, you know, everyone always says, oh, well, half of my spend is wasted. I don't know which Mm -hmm. half, but half of it is. And there's so, I mean, fashion advertising remains um, women's print. Fashion magazines uh-huh. remain thick and huge, and they make lots of money, um, even as every other kind of magazine uh-huh. starts getting thinner and thinner. And yet, you know, the editorials—they're still going strong. And there's a there's a there's almost this like block of brands that's saying that's kind of very steadfastly saying, "No, we're not going to change that. We're going to basically dress people in really beautiful clothing, get a really really famous photographer, um, Photoshop the hell out of it, and mm. do great spreads. And they are beautiful. Don't get me wrong. And it's got an aesthetic that in fashion I think is important, but you do have to wonder like when when are we gonna wake up to this like the reality of new digital and say, how oh, is it working? Cause we have all these tools now and are mm-hmm. we using those tools?
0: I mean, uh, in terms of advertising analog versus digital, uh, I think there'll always be a place for like a printed page. It just something feels very real about it versus banner ads and redirections. Like uh, a lot of the digital um, advertising I find personally to, be off-putting for the product when it follows you all around the Internet a million times, you know, for a week, and then you don't want to see that ever again. <laughs> so you certainly don't want to buy it. Um You know, for me and from a kind of ivory tower designer um, point of view, certainly creating one image that is the mood and spirit of a certain time um, and reflects Kind of the most pure vision of a certain season, yes, I think that that is great. Um, but images are so um, ephemeral now, I think, with social media. For example, I saw a fantastic video um, that Gucci did for sunglasses and children's wear the other day. It was so great. Like, who cares about Instagram advertising, like, in my feed? I certainly don't. And I accidentally once clicked on a Domino's Pizza ad, which I was curious about. <laughs> Um, and then
1: they're, they're going to follow you on the internet for the rest of your life. Right. Eat some pizza, Chris. Right.
0: Oh, you don't have to saw me twice. Um, <laughs> but uh, I thought it was so great, and you know, I'm not sure. It seemed obviously like they, that kind of cost of production was maybe the same as buying, certain, you know, a few ad pages or something. But it was so much more impactful to me to see this like. 30 second video clip on Instagram and was certainly more personal to me than flipping through a magazine and yeah. um and so I, I really like to see that and I like to see new technologies leveraged with kind of um, old fashioned sort of um, ideas yeah. yeah what
1: what is it what's a technology that you're sort of interested in curious about think might I mean do I'm very fun. interested
0: in virtual reality because I don't like leaving my house and I feel like once. <laughs> That's first. You know, perfected, Domino's really delivers. Won't. Maybe the Domino's thing uh, wasn't a bad idea. Sorry, they don't. Ah. <laughs> Domino's, if you're listening. I mean, listening. they do, but it takes like three hours. So trust me, I've been on the phone with customer service a million times. <laughs> um, yes, I think virtual reality, once that is perfected, I'm not sure what the kind of horizon line is for that um, technology. But it seems like it's coming around in a way mm-hmm. that um, in the past incarnations, it wasn't really um fully resolved. So um, the fact, like whenever virtual reality is perfected such that you can walk through a store and like pull things off the shelf in this immersive shopping experience, I think that will be the time when the industry is really um, turned on its nose.
1: How much of the fact that the goggles are just really ugly.
0: And very heavy and uncomfortable. And very,
1: un- yeah. And you, and you can't help but look bad in them. Like, you could literally be the most beautiful woman or man ever. Well, and you could put those gla- goggles on and suddenly it's like, God damn, I look kind of stupid, don't I?
0: Yeah, you also just look like, you know, unless you're in like a fully reclined massage chair with, you know, <laughs> a RoboCop costume and those goggles, like... If you're going to do it, you have to go all the way. I think it's if you're just in your normal street clothes. Sharing the aesthetics the of the goggles, goggles make a
1: huge difference. Sure. What worries you? Um,
0: I don't really get worried about that. I'm pretty placid. Um, or I sort of don't get worried in general. I, um, I always feel like there's something to be perfected and something that can be designed better. And um, it's really about moving forward always with everything. So um, for me, I don't know. I don't get... Um, That worried. Sometimes if it's like extra turbulent on one of my New York China trips or something. (laughs) So
1: something you know, actual actual physical fear of death and stuff. That's all normal stuff. That's right. That's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you you said this earlier. Um do you do you miss kind of doing Kind of the 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 pen to paper designing more um, because being a creative director again you're learning all these other things and you're having to do all these other things and it's like the difference between you know uh, a manager and a worker and sometimes you sort of want to work a little.
0: Uh huh. Well, it's interesting. I've been doing a bit more of it um, in the last couple months. We've um, this was always the strategy, but. to really respond to what the market was interested in with Bill Blossom shoes has always been our number one category. So we've been doing lots and lots and lots of shoes. Um, and thereby I've been kind of picking up the, well, you know, we have to create so many styles. So it's like, I have to create the overarching vision of the whole shoe collection and all the details and everything. So I've been doing lots and lots of sketching, which is great. and um, And it's really what I love to do the most.
1: Great. Well, Chris, Beth, thank you so much for coming so onto welcome. the Glossy Podcast. It's awesome <laughs> to have you. I hope you get your pizza sometime soon. And thanks to you for listening. We're on iTunes, we'll also we're also on Stitcher. So leave us a review if you like what you heard and we'll see you next week for another episode.